0: very warm welcome to our second edition of the tennis takeaway podcast with the two barry's that's me barry milnes and him barry cowan and we are delighted to have your company thank you so much uh, for following us already those of you who have been through uh, the first week of our existence it's been quite a week and what an end to the week of course at the australian open a stunning sunday and here to uh, discuss it with us live from melbourne is the former player jill crabes who was on the tour for uh, Well, many years, Jill. You obviously excelled at the top level with uh, all sorts of players over, I think, more than 20 years as a WTA player. You won a singles title, you won a whole host of doubles titles and now working as a coach as also as a broadcaster. And you're there with AO Radio, BBC Radio and the World Feed you're working on as well. So I guess um, you've got no rest time at all. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to join you guys. And yes, it's been a little bit hectic here, as you both know, as well. The first week is always full on, just so many matches going on. But um, what a week it's been. And it has been a little bit exhausting, but the tennis has just been fantastic. So it's been such a good week to be here in Melbourne.
2: It's not just been Sunday, Barry and Jill, though, has it? It's been many nights, this week.
1: It's, oh my the, God. The Conta
2: Mugarutha match that finished l- oh my the goodness. early
1: hours. I think that was the killer. Everyone's <laughs> still talking about that match. I don't think anyone's recovered from that one yet. And, and then there was another one that came out. Now, now it's all. I'm just losing what day it is. But um, there's another match that went really long. And I think um, I finished the pre-match the other night when he was playing the Aussie Popperin. So that one was like at 1.30 in the morning. So it's been, yeah, there's been a lot going on, that a lot of late finishes that people are still recovering from.
0: Well, where do we start assessing what has happened? And and those who've fallen by the wayside, I guess we, we kick off with Roger Federer. Jill, your thoughts, your reaction to the great Tsitsipas victory yesterday?
1: You know, it's interesting because I was just talking to someone this morning about that match and um I, I actually missed quite a bit of the first set. I think I was finishing something and I was driving home and I actually caught the tiebreaker of the first set. And the tiebreaker I thought was phenomenal. But I the person I was talking to was like, Yeah, Roger looked a little bit off in that first set. And I was like, Well, I actually missed that. And then the second, third, and fourth sets I thought was just phenomenal tennis. I didn't get the impression that Federer was ne- necessarily playing that badly. I just thought Tsitsipas was playing incredibly well. And, and there were moments during that match that I felt Tsitsipas was doing, uh, choosing shots and, and making really good um, decisions, similar to what Federer usually does to his opponents. Like if he's down a break point, all of a sudden comes out, came out with a huge serve, which we know Federer can do. All the time. And then also throwing in the drop shot. And I don't know, there were a lot of similarities between it. It's almost like Federer was playing a mini me, uh, in my opinion. I thought it was was so similar. And I was just like, wow. I'm like, you know, maybe Federer has a couple years left, but I think we're seeing the next possibly Federer for the next 20 years. I don't know. Well, that's, that's as City name.
2: Pass mentioned, wasn't it, in his interview after the match said, it's my decision-making, that's what's improved. And I think for Federer, the concern is, and he touched on it, his, his, he didn't, re, didn't break City Pass at all in the four sets, didn't break him at all in the Hotman Cup. And, you know, amazingly, I was just looking at a few stats, he's played 152 matches that have been four sets or five sets. This was the first time against City Pass yesterday that he didn't break serve in those 152 matches so I think it, wow. it is a concern really moving forward for him
1: yeah I, I think that's a great point because Federer is the type of player that you know he, I think in his head he always feels like he's going to get that break and when he doesn't I feel like you know his demeanor is always really good but when he doesn't get that break that's when you start seeing him getting really like a little bit irritable with himself and I think when that doesn't happen, it really gets to him. And, and the fact that he wasn't able to do it, I think that's a great point, Barry. The fact that he wasn't able to do it right away, I think that affected him quite a bit. But I, I, you, you can't take anything away from Tsitsipas. I mean, I just thought he was phenomenal.
0: What do you guys make of Federer's announcement afterwards that uh, he now plans to uh, play the clay court season again, having missed the last two years?
1: Well, I was just going to say, I think um, the fact that he's chosen that in the last couple of years, I, I think maybe was advantageous to him, but um, you know, at the, towards the end of last year, especially, I think just, you know, he didn't have a lot of, a, a lot of matches and I think maybe he feels like he needs a little bit more match play. He needs to maybe gut out and fight through a couple more matches just to maybe, um, you know, the point of the breaking of the serve, maybe have give himself more opportunities, get himself in those positions a little bit more. Um So obviously right now, my my thinking is that he feels like he needs more match play. And so I feel like that's the reason why he's playing the the clay courts. Do
0: you think it possibly is a farewell tour, Baza?
2: No, I don't. I think far from it. I think still Federer still believes that he can win big titles. I think the reason that Federer has done it, and, and it, I, I thought it was strange his comments after the match saying, I felt I had to win the second set. I, I, I mean, I could never imagine Federer ever saying that, which almost suggests to me that physically he maybe doesn't have that deep confidence at the moment, and, and that's probably one of the reasons why he has decided to, uh, to play the clay court season. It would be interesting to see how many tournaments he plays. I, I can't expect him to play a full schedule. I think maybe a couple of tournaments and then the French Open, so I think he needs more miles in his legs
0: and um, to be able to feel that he, he is stronger in those longer matches. Jill, we've obviously still got, um, you know, a couple of very big names uh, in the draw in the men's side of it. But Andy Murray, it all began with the news of Murray announcing his plans for retirement this year. Then we had the epic match that he fought with uh, Bautista Agut and that incredible kind of send-off he was given. It was such a, a memorable few days with him, wasn't it?
1: It really was. And I think you could just you got the sense here of just the emotion around the fact that, you know, his announcement and the fact that he was probably going to retire. I still feel like it's hard for him to say to just come to the terms with the fact that he might be done because he's such a good competitor and such a fighter. But I think overall, it was just sad news kind of for everyone to hear because he's. Um, Ben, I mean, he's just been so great for the game and I think he's just a really intelligent guy and I think he's got a great attitude. Um, and I just feel like he's going to, he's going to be missed. And I think, um, it's a really tough decision. I, I I know Barry Cowan, you know, as a former player, like how hard it is to come to terms with the fact that like, you know, your career, might be ending and i think andy for sure it's coming sooner than he thought and i think when it, one is when it's not in your terms mm. and two when it comes sooner than you think and you're just not ready for it like mentally that is that is so difficult um having said that watching watching his match i mean i just love the way he like fought fought back to really get back into that match even though he lost but i think that that fight is something that you just is hard to in, get in any other area of your life and in the, in the I don't know, just the atmosphere. And I think, I, I don't know, I think it's gonna be tough for him to, to come to terms with it. So for me, I don't feel like, he, like he's quite ready to stop in my opinion, but we'll see what happens. He obviously is in, in a lot of pain.
0: He sure is. And no doubt uh, we'll hear more from him uh, as the weeks go by and his decisions as to uh, what he does next. But Jill, I just want to get uh, thoughts briefly from you about uh, two of your own, as it were, uh, Francis Tiafo and Danielle Collins, because what first weeks they've put together. Collins, like yourself, a collegiate player before coming on the tour. And look what she's gone and done.
1: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I actually hadn't seen a ton of her matches before in the past. I mean, I've just seen clips like watching on YouTube or, or whatever on the computer. But I really, I purposely went out and made sure I watched her. I, the, I saw her play Garcia. So I went and watched that match. And then I saw the first set of Kerber and then I had to go work. But, um, I mean, she's just playing absolutely insane. And the way she beat Garcia, I mean, Garcia is a really hard hitter and tough competitor and Collins was so quick on everything and she just could hit winners from anywhere from any shot and the same in Kerber I mean I was just really really impressed where does this
2: self-confidence come from Jill because she talks big doesn't she
1: (laughs) she does but I I feel like just listening to her and then hearing about her from the USTA and the other American players I feel like that's something that's in my opinion that it sounds like it's just ingrained in her I feel like she's had that for a while I mean I met her briefly at one of the challengers a couple years ago. I didn't really, it was a situation where I didn't really get to talk to her that much, but um, right after that, there's the way she walked. You can tell in her demeanor that I think that's just something that's part of her um, character. And I know a lot of players say that she's really feisty on the court and she kind of can fist pump in your face sometimes. And um and I think she's just brings that passion and that confidence on the court. But I, you look at her and you just don't feel like she thinks she can lose to lose to anybody.
0: And what about Francis Tiafa? What a twenty-first birthday that was!
1: I know, and he is such a nice guy. <laughs> he is really fun, and he's just—he is—he's such a nice guy. And um, I, I just—I really enjoy watching him play because um, there's such good variety. I think sometimes he hits the ball hard. Sometimes he just kind of floats it in the court or drop shots and I think that variety just can really throw your opponents off but so far this tournament he's just been a really really tough competitor and I I heard um Shapovalov talking about him the other day and he was just like he's just been waiting for him to sort of like make that push because I think everyone knows how talented he is
2: I think and they're really
1: they're really good friends I think they're really good friends so yeah
2: I think certainly for Tiafo Barry and Jill he benefited from playing the Davis Cup And he played the fifth rubber last year against Chorich in the semifinal. He didn't win it, but that certainly gave him some confidence of being able to to reach the big time.
1: Um, Yeah, I definitely think Davis Cup would affect him. You know, it's a different, it's interesting because Davis Cup, and for me, I was was, uh, lucky enough to play Fed Cup. I mean, it's just a different kind of pressure because now you're playing for your country, you're playing for your teammates as well. So it's just a completely different kind of pressure. And I've known a lot of players that could not handle that pressure very well, but you get someone like Tiafo that's able to come through in that sort of huge pressure situation that definitely carries over to the tour, in my opinion.
2: Well, Davis cup has been in the headlines recently. And also another person who's been in the headlines is Dave Miley. And I sat down with Dave a couple of weeks ago, Dave who worked at the ITF for 25 years. And recently he announced he's going to contest for the presidency of the ITF and he has decided to challenge David Haggerty later on this year and I asked him why
3: i decided to run for the itf because i think the itf at the moment is um, not operating as well as it could do in, at different levels both in terms of what's good for tennis and what's good for the nations that own it and i felt i had quite a bit of support uh, i feel i have quite a bit of support from nations of the itf and I uh, feel with my experience, it's very unique, I worked in development, I've traveled all over the world, I speak three languages, I think I know the ITF very well, and the nations know that I respect the fact that the nations own the ITF, so I think I could do something good for the ITF and something good for tennis, so I've decided to enter the enter the to, to make myself a candidate and I will run for the presidency next September, the elections in Portugal.
4: So what are the next steps now for you from January up until September, that's, uh, that's eight or nine months? very um, really
3: I'm, I'm in listening mode at the moment what I've been trying to do over the last uh, two months since I declared my candidacy is to try to meet with as many uh, constituents f- involved in international tennis both obviously the member nations to talk to presidents to talk to people who work in tennis but also to consider the 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 tours what the grand slams etc because tennis is very fragmented at the moment and, and I'm not saying I have all the answers but The key thing is to understand what the objectives of the other uh, big organizations are in tennis, and especially the the players. I mean, obviously the players can't dictate the show. They can't decide everything. But the players are very important, and they should really be consulted in real ways. And and I I have been talking to some players as well. So I'm just in listening mode. I I have ideas about how I think I could make uh, things better for the nations that own the ITF, but also in terms of the good of tennis. Uh, Just... For example, there's a lot of things in tennis, Uh, the player ranked 250, 300 in the world is losing $50,000 a year. I mean, that shouldn't be happening. There must be a way of making it possible for more players to to make a living and to break even.
2: Well, your passion
4: is burning bright. That's clear. (laughs) You've got a smile on your face. And you mentioned that it's fragmented. Yeah. And many, you've talked about it, I've seen some articles you've written, The, the, the seven stakeholders. Yeah. The ITF, ATP, WTA, and the four Grand Slams. Yeah. Is it possible for them to work together, and if so, how, how can that be sorted out in the future?
3: Of course it's possible for them to work together. I mean, okay, in, in, in my area in development, I'll give you a good example. I mean, when I was working on the, the 10 and under rule change, so we wanted to change the rules so kids played not with the yellow ball but on smaller courts and slower balls. I worked with the ATP, we got the top players to promote the program free of charge. I worked with the slams. They were part of the group that developed the program. We worked with the industry. Everybody came together. It took 10 years, but eventually the rules were changed. It was only the fifth rule in the change in the history of tennis. And so it is possible for people to work together. And everybody can still make money, in it, but it needs to be better. For example, right now, one of the things I think a lot of the countries, uh, the, 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 the seven bodies and the players should be concerned about is participation has gone down dramatically in U.S it's got it's very static and dropping in Europe okay in Asia it's going up very fast but why do you think that is well because the market has changed and so for example tennis is a product and so let's take the tournaments when you and I were playing we were happy to hang around for a whole week at a tournament and play but today everybody has a lot more things they can do so maybe we need to adapt the competitive program to the needs and lifestyles of the customers but the bottom line is In the 80s, US tennis was 30 million players, now it's 16.7. And that's really scary, and if you look at the other figures, France is static and dropping a bit, Netherlands has dropped about 100,000 registered players, and these are countries which are doing a lot. So, I don't want to go into the detail, but participation is a big thing, and I think that obviously all of the stakeholders, a healthy sport is a lot of people play. Because they play, they want to watch the best players play live and on television, and because they play, they buy products that help them play better, coaching and equipment. That's a healthy sport. If you don't have a lot of people playing, eventually the television income is going to dry up in some of the big tournaments. And my concern in the U.S., if you look, Barry, at some of the ter- professional tournaments in the U.S., the stands are empty. And do, do people not see that? Yes, the, the big tournaments, U.S. Open, grandstands are making a lot of money. But there are a lot of tournaments where the crowds are not there because there's not enough people playing. Everybody in the industry needs to work together, led obviously by the ITF, where they're the controlling body of tennis. But what I'm just saying is one of the big objectives of all the organisations should be to make sure participation is growing in the world because it's good for everybody.
4: Go back to your, your role as director of development. What actually was your job?
3: Yeah. So as director of development, I was in charge of the biggest department at the ITF, and I was in charge of juniors, seniors, wheelchair tennis, uh, technical and anti-doping, was in my department for quite some time, and also uh, coach education, player training, the development program which is funded by the Grand Sams and the ITF. So I had 46 people in the London office and another uh, number outside the around the world. And uh, the job was really non-professional tennis, uh, but you know in terms of like the junior circuit I feel we did a I worked with my colleagues Lucas Santilli and Jackie Nett, but, we did some good things in juniors, and I always say that junior tennis is actually a good example for professional tennis. Why is that? Because you have nine big tournaments all over the world, the Great A's, including the four slams. You've got a combined ranking. Men and women play together every week, etc., etc. So it's actually quite a nice. The junior circuit is very good, and so. Um, but that was my all non-professional tennis, and uh, but the development areas where I was more hands-on. So that was coach education, the Worldwide Coaches Conference. We had five training centers which are set up around the world uh, in Africa, uh, Pacific, and also in uh, Central America and the Caribbean. So everything from participation as well, the play and stay campaign, uh, but in terms of the tennis, the real junior, seniors wheelchair was the real circuits, but also technical and anti-doping. When I left the ITF, one of the nicest things I had was I had a lot of messages from former players that, that had been through the program and I try, I helped at different times of course but people like Cara Black, Byron Wayne Black, the Black family and then also people like Marcus Baghdadis I remember seeing him as an 11 year old from Cyprus playing a development tournament and then we helped him to travel, Azarenka, uh, Bondarenko, a lot of players like that so there's, there's so many, um, Jean-Julien Rohrer who's been winning Grand Slam doubles I mean Jean-Julien was from Netherland Antilles and the ITF gave him travel grants to, to play so There's so many. Gustavo Curtin, who I remember back in '93 playing, and then we helped him a lot. He became number one in the world. Moving forward, Mm -hmm.
4: if you were successful, what would you change?
3: Barry, at this stage, like I said, I'm in in, in listening mode, so I I don't want to go into the detail. But all I can say is that I think that the ITF uh, and the ITF president should be conscious of two big things, which is how do you improve things for tennis in general, because the ITF is the controlling body. So how do we make tennis better and work with the other partners in tennis? But also, what can we do for the ITF nations, the 208 nations that own the ITF? They own the ITF. So we, are the people who work for the ITF, we work for those nations. They're the shareholders. So what can we do in terms of getting more players playing the game? What can we do in terms of better players, helping their better players, helping with their facilities, etc. And how can we generate more income for the ITF that can be shared with the nations for the good of tennis? So they're the sort of things. Now, I have lots of ideas, lots of things. That, some of the things that Mr. Haggerty is doing, I would continue because I'm not going to go in and say everything is bad. But there are things that I think I would certainly as president
0: do differently. We'll pause the interview there. Very interesting the things that Dave Marley's had to say to you, Baza. And, and Jill, I just wonder what uh, you might add to that about participation and he was saying it's really down in the USA. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of talk about this for a long time, and I think um, a lot of people have said just because there's so many different sports in the United States that that people can choose from, and you know, there's NFL, there's soccer, there's basketball, and there's baseball, and there's there's so there's a lot of sports that people can watch, and I think, um, I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that it might be down a little bit more, and and for that reason, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm I'm hoping it's gonna I don't know why it maybe got down a little bit, but I'm hoping it's going to resurge. We now have so many Americans um, that are really making a push, like this new generation coming up, especially we're just talking about Tiafo a little bit. And, and um, on the women's side, we still have some, you know, Collins. We have a couple youngsters on the women, also Anna Samova and Kenan, who are, a lot of hype around them who are playing extremely well. So I think there's going to be this new surge. And I also think it's just about marketing them a little bit. I think, again, having so many other sports that are marketed, I think, you know, we've got to sort of market these players and get the, and get the interest back, I think, for a lot of the population.
2: Well, it's interesting hearing Jill's views about participation in America. Also in Britain, the participation has been down in the last decade or so. In part two of our interview with Dave Miley, I asked him about the possibility of the Players' Union, the new ITF World Tennis Tour, but we began by discussing what changes he would make to the Davis Cup.
3: I think there were other formats out there that would have been better, or I, thought, I actually think it would have been better to take a bit more time. It was, a very, it was kind of too far, too fast, in my opinion. But <clears throat> there's a contract with Cosmos, there's a format in place, so I think short term, the key thing would be dates, and points to get player participation. And the second thing would be long term, meaning four or five years down the road, I'm sure there is maybe a format which exists that could be adopted, which is more respectful of the traditions of the competition, but can generate at least as much, or maybe more than the current format generates. But I want to be clear, the format was voted, so I would respect the format, I would work with Cosmos, but in my opinion, down the line, there should be a format which would be better for the competition, better for the nations, generate at least as much as this is generating and maybe more. Whatever we decide to do in the future, the players have to be truly consulted. Because what I was concerned about at the vote was you were hearing things like, oh, the top players are in favor of this format. It wasn't true. They were in favor of change. Everybody was in favor of change. But they weren't in favor of this particular format. And I've written articles already about this. I I felt it was surreal in Orlando that a professional footballer was standing in front of 150 presidents of tennis, telling them that they had to go from five sets to three sets, from five matches to three matches, to have 18 teams, two wild cards. Can you imagine if Roger Federer stood up in front of FIFA and said, guys, I want you to play instead of 90-minute matches, 60-minute matches, and by the way, if Italy doesn't qualify next time for the World Cup, we're going to give them a wild card. You think they would be listening to, to Roger Federer, even though Roger's a great guy? No, so something was wrong, and, uh, but it's done, let's find a way to work, I'm very pragmatic, and we find a way to, to make, it, make it better.
4: A couple of other, other issues <coughs> I want to ask you is firstly actually Hotman Cup, it's mm-hmm. a tournament that has been well established, very successful, uh, but maybe sad that the, the one over the weekend was it's going to be the last one because of the ATP Cup.
3: Yeah, look, I think the Hotman it's, it's very ironic, the Hotman Cup this time was fantastic with Federer playing and what happened and you saw the... Nice the, Serena oh, playing come on, Federer, the, two it, of the it, greatest it, it, of all time. It's great. And it's a shame because I think there's room in the calendar somewhere for a mixed team event. And uh, I would hope that there's a way, if it, if it can't take place in the future in January, is there a way it could be take place somewhere in the calendar? Uh, maybe not in Australia, maybe in another part of the world, but that would be something I would be trying to do.
4: A big change transition tour, Yeah. what do you make of the changes and, and how do you think it sort of settled down in, in the first two or three months, people will be able to get their head around it?
3: Look, I, I, I think you've seen, I've written a few things about this, in fact I warned the ITF back in, in January last year after I was in Australia um, that I, I just feel there's a better way and uh, the biggest problems that we looked at, when, back, back in 2013 I was involved with the initial discussions with the ATP and WTA because I was at the ITF then about how we could restructure things. But the initial idea was, how can we get more players to make enough money to break even, okay? What I would ask the question is about this new ITF World Tour or Transition Tour is, tell me a player that's making more money, and tell me a player that has less costs. Because the prize money is the same, the draw size is the same, the global circuit means players travel exactly the same, so the costs haven't gone down. So there's no way it helps more players to break even. The prize money is the same, the costs are the same. So, in my opinion, this circuit is not gonna solve the problems that it was supposed to be for, which was to make sure more players break even. I also think the fact that the, the way it's structured now, there's gonna be a bottleneck, meaning players will be playing this ITF World Tour, and it's gonna be very difficult to move into the next level, which is the challenger level, because there's only four in qualifying, and there's five spots in the, in the, in the main draw, it's 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 gonna to be tough for players from those developing countries coming through. So I think there was a better way, in my opinion, regional circuits would have been better. Asia Pacific, Pan America, Euro Africa, where players would have less costs. And maybe at the end of the year the top twenty players would get their card to play on the higher levels or something like that. Like they do in golf. Exactly, because in golf, four or five hundred players are making a good living In golf, in tennis, it's about 180 players in the men.
4: So 180 in the men and how many in the women? I I
3: think the break even is about 130. You see, it depends, Barry, because if you're, it's a sport, it's a professional sport, but if you travel with a coach, your costs are 50, their travel costs are 50, and you have to pay the coach's salary. So somewhere between 150 and 200 is your costs. And you are a former player, you know what I mean, but a lot of players are traveling without a coach. Because they can't afford it. So if you were saying 200,000 is the break-even, then there's not many players breaking even, and that's my frustration. Is that for a good junior finishing, in order to break into the top hundred, it's going to take you probably till you're 23, 24. So if you don't go to U.S. college, you've got six years where you're going to fund 50. You're going to lose $50,000 a year, and that's not so easy. And these are players who have given up a lot in their life to get to this level in the men and the women. So. What I'm saying is that there, I, I, there was a need to change the tour, and my suggestion to the ITF was to make the futures 15,000 as they were, with a 16 draw, main draw, and that double surprise money for those players. And you have qualifying that can be 16, 32, or 64 for t- two or four spots. So you actually.
4: With prize money in there as well?
3: In the qualifying, no. No, but for the players, what I'm saying, then the players ranked 7, 600, 500 would have a chance to make double the prize money at the tournaments, plus they can play six of those futures in a month because they're four days. And so now the best players can triple their prize money. And that would have been a way to make sure you would have cut out 50% of the people from the rankings, which was many, one of the objectives, and those players playing the tournaments would have made more money. Because it doesn't matter if you have 20 futures in a week, you can only play one futures. And there's 32 players, so that to win a futures, you're only you're not getting much money. This is one of the issues that I think, I talked about the seven bodies plus the players should be getting together talking about. Okay guys, how can we find a way that the top 350 men and women can make a living? How about that? Okay, let's work for the next four years, all of us to try to, wouldn't that be good for tennis? Guys, how can we make it that the top 700 can break even? Wouldn't that be good? You, well, I always think when I go to a Grand Slam qualifying and I walk around, Look at the quality phenomenal. of the athletes. It's look, phenomenal. Look how big and strong in the men and the women they are. And these people have given up a lot in their life. Why should you, having given up all that, be losing $50,000 a year when you're 300 in the world? It's not right.
4: Players' union. It's something that's touched on. I mean, obviously, you, if we look at the ATP, you've got the player side and you've got the tournament side. Do you think that's possible that there can be a players' union?
3: This this is quite controversial, this is something I think more for the uh, the Grand Slam and the ATP to kind of talk about. But look, in any business, the challenge is that you, it's very difficult to be an employer and a union at the same time. Everybody agrees that the players' views have to be considered, and whenever I've talked to anybody from the ATP, Players Union, whatever, players, uh, player council, etc. They want to be listened to, not just cosmetically. They just want to be consulted about the Davis Cup format, about the dates, about the calendar, things like that. And they should be, because they're, 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 the, they're really important. The players are their are the, real customers, and they're selling the sport a lot. So whatever way it should be that the seven bodies are genuinely involving the players and listening to them, um, and trying to put together tennis, the calendar, etc., the Davis Cup, all the things, so that it's good for the players. An example is, I mean, the Davis Cup, I know it's the same week as the final used to be, but remember, the final used to be eight players. Now it's ten, so four or four in the final. So it only affected eight players. Now it affects ten because it's five players on the team. This new format, you're going to have a 100 players affected by it. So now, when a player loses in Bercy on the Tuesday of what November 5th or they have to hang around one week till the end of Bercy then another week and then a week and, and before and then they finish the Davis Cup November whatever 20th, 20th and they have to be in Doha in uh, probably december 25th 26th mm-hmm. so there's no off season it's not right, and everybody knew it when they were voting on it, everybody knew it. I wrote about it so why didn't that come out and say okay we need to do it in September and so everybody needs to talk about it and things will have to move eventually so that you know Davis Cup is very important it's the tradition of our sport we need to find a way to protect Davis Cup and a Fed Cup it's very important but also to make sure the ATP tour is going well the Grand Slams are very successful it's all good um, but at the moment I, 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 you know for those hundred players they're all scratching their head going who the hell came up with this? I want to try to offer a refreshing vision which is driven Barry by tennis. What I find in the last while nobody's talking about tennis they're talking about politics talking about money and
2: all those things are important
3: but in the end of the day tennis is the big thing.
2: So interesting views from Dave Marley. I also felt Baranjil, that he's keeping his cards close to his chest. There's still a lot more to come out as he gets closer to uh, gunning for presidency in late September. Davis cut too far, too fast. Also, interesting, could you imagine Federer standing in front of FIFA saying, oh, I want to reduce the World Cup football (laughs) from 90 minutes to 60 minutes, and and if Italy or England don't qualify, there you go, let's have a wild
1: card. (laughs) going to be interesting to see what happens because I know there's been a lot of talk amongst the players of you know some of them kind of like the idea some of them are not so keen on it I in my opinion I feel like the majority are not that excited about it I think it just takes away from having that really good camaraderie and having home ties. I think people like the fact that it moves around a little bit and being able to play in your home country. So I think it's going to lose a little bit of that ambiance and that aura, in in my opinion. And that's the sense that I've gotten from some of the um, ATP players.
0: Look, guys, it's been great to have the discussion. Jill, thank you so much for your time from Melbourne. I hope it's another sunny day there and you're going to have a great second week. But thank you very much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. And I, and I think it's going to be a great second week. It's going to get really, really hot, I think, for a couple of days. And we're going to have Thursday to push you, Friday. Jill.
2: Who's going to win the men's yes. and the women's?
1: Oh, well, that's not that's not a push because I've been asked that for the last eight days.
2: Already. <laughs> <laughs> and are your two still so, in from the, from
1: my day two, one? My two, yes, they are. My two are still in. So a couple of days before the tournament, we always have to get our give our picks. And I, I picked Nadal and Kvitova.
0: Oh, good picks. Good. Well, Baz went yes. with um, – who did you go with, Baz?
2: Uh, I went with uh, Djokovic and, yes. and I went with Serena in the women's. No, I didn't. I went with Kerber <laughs> in the women's. <laughs>
0: yeah. The German I... failed me. Uh, I went with Djokovic <laughs> and I went with Serena. We will find out, won't we? But um, thanks, guys. Go. And thanks, everybody, for listening to uh, our second edition of the Tennis Takeaway podcast. And if you haven't already heard then we're also doing uh, tennis takeaway extras every day with Barry and me reacting to uh, events each day from Melbourne Park. Do join us again for the next one. We'll have another podcast for you in a week's time.